those of you who've just logged on online, welcome to you, of course. And I trust that will be a blessing to you as uh, uh, we would uh, usher in uh, our time in this Christmas season. My wife have uh, alerted me that the date for the uh, uh, thank you lunch is on the 17th on your bulletin. Uh, but that is actually not correct. It will be next Sunday, uh, the 10th. Uh, so please uh, forgive us in regards to that uh, error. So our thank you lunch will be next Sunday, uh, not on the 17th. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of beginnings. The book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, please. Genesis. And obviously today, as I, I said, is the first uh, Sunday of December. And as we uh, enter the Christmas season, uh, understanding that there are different positions about this time of the year, with the very word Christmas is already contentious to some. Uh, beloved, we are not celebrating a Mass, uh, of course, but the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, you have the liberty, of course. I have no quarrel with you in regards to this. Uh, the Bible says that uh, only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Uh, the, uh, indeed, you do have that Christian liberty to celebrate or not celebrate Christmas, and I don't understand why you wouldn't, uh, but that's between you and the Lord. Whether you put a Christmas tree or, or not is uh, entirely up to you. Uh, what you do or don't do in your own homes is, again, your prerogative. That's your liberty, and uh, it's entirely up to you and, indeed, your preferences, okay? Uh, and so I understand, I understand the many wrongs about this time of the year, the commercialization of Christmas, the focus on Santa rather than the Savior, the gifts rather than the giver of the unspeakable gift. I get it. There's so many uh, wrongs in our time today. The Christmas tree, the trimmings, rather than the cruel tree which our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. The snowman, rather than the shepherds. But as I always say every year, you can choose and major on the wrongs, criticize and alienate people in the process, or you can take every opportunity to show and tell saints and sinners alike about the love of Jesus, born to be the Savior of the world. You have a choice. I pray and trust that you will choose to be gracious rather than grumpy. Caring rather than being critical. And most of all, communicator of and for the God-man who came to bring good tidings of great joy. I encourage us all to have it in our head and in our heart this time of the year. As we endeavor to preach and teach the reason for the season. Perhaps that we will not desire to be a Grinch. But rather gracious. Generous. And godly followers of Jesus Christ. 
Our series for this year's Christmas period I have entitled, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And like I said, rather than focusing on what is wrong, I would rather that we focus on what is right. Let us look to the God-man and not the guy with a long beard in a red suit. Let us not get our noses out of joint because of the reindeer with the red nose. Or be so cold and frigid and become frosty like the snowman. And as I mentioned, not be grumpy as the Grinch. No, please no. Let us rather look unto Jesus who lived up to his name, Jesus being the Savior of sinful men. Let us deify him rather than endlessly debate whether he was born in December or whether there were really three kings that came from the east or, or whether did Mary ride on a donkey or not. If anything, my prayer and desire is that we would be closer and more committed to the Savior as we end this year and begin the next, if there is such a next. And so Genesis chapter 3, please. It's a strange text to preach from about Christmas, I understand. But I believe as uh, we go through the message, which I have entitled, The Lamb Promised. The Lamb Promised. Genesis chapter 3, if you would stand with me, please. Just a couple of verses. Genesis chapter 3. Here in verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thou shalt thou eat uh, all the days of thy life. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise thy heel. Our Father, thank you once again that we have this moment. Indeed, thank you for the privilege to preach your word. Thank you that we have your word preserved for us all these generations, that in times like these and days like today, whilst there's so many things that are not true, and they are uh, different, and uh, uh, perceptions, and opinions, and narratives, and we have your word to guide us into all truth. And so, Father, I pray once more, that you speak through your servant. Hide me behind the cross. May Jesus be only seen. And dear God, I pray that your will and way be accomplished in each of us. Teach us your truth today. 
whatever ponderings of our heart, the things that make us anxious at this moment. Oh, I pray, Lord, that your people will cast that aside for a moment. And Lord, that we would indeed focus our attention on the things of you. Meet with us, Father, I pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here we find what was tragic, given a hope of triumph in the prophecy of the person of the Lamb of God. First ever mentioned in the entire scriptures, he shall bruise Satan's head as he, Satan himself, bruised the Savior's heel. We now know, of course, that God made man in his own image placed him in a perfect place, in a perfect condition. Man was free from, from any pain, free from any problem, in perfect peace by himself and the Lord until the woman come. Don't throw tomatoes at me. With. Of course... Eve was the perfect companion and completion to Adam. Bone of his bones, he said, and flesh of his flesh. Eve, the mother of all living. For an unknown period of time, in the garden things were going well. They have unbroken and unhindered fellowship uh, with themselves and indeed with God until Eve was deceived by the devil and both she and her husband ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam, Eve, and the rest of humanity since became sinners before God. In an instant, everything changed. What was perfect, innocent, and pure have been corrupted into depravity. God then pronounced his righteous judgment upon Adam and Eve and indeed the serpent, and they were all cast out from the Garden of Eden. Yet in the midst of that tragic and dark event, we find light, the light of the grace of God in the promised Lamb of God, who will later be born of a virgin, grow up as a man, and become the perfect sacrifice for sin. Indeed, I say again, what was tragic turned into something triumphant. Who was and is the promised Lamb of God? Notice firstly the person of the promised Lamb. The person of the promised Lamb. He was unique and only one of a kind in his origin. Notice how this lamb promise was referred to as the seed of the woman. 
we all understand that in God's order of procreation, the seed is to be provided by the man and not by or from the woman. But not in this case. Here was the first mention of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. God made it sure this Lamb, capital L, promised will come into this world to be born without the involvement of a man, but by his spirit through a virgin birth uh, who have not known a virgin, a, a, a lady that has not known any man, uh, but through the Spirit, the Savior will be born. Now, why is this important? You see, Romans 5.12, turn there, please. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, a familiar verse to so many, if you've been in the faith for so long. Romans chapter 5 in the New Testament, of course. <clears throat> Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into this world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Every man, woman, and child without exception that has been born into this world has inherited a sin nature. And therefore, beloved, you and I have a sin problem. And we are a sinner from birth. Romans 3 tells us that. Galatians chapter 3 verse 22 which says, But the scripture has concluded all under sin. But you see, the birth of Jesus was different. It was unique, like I said. It's the only kind. He came into this world not from the seed of a man tainted by sin. No. He was and is the God-man and God in the flesh. This promised Lamb of God was unique in his person, but also unique in his occupation. Notice again our text. He shall bruise the serpent's head. The word bruise here has the idea of snapping. That is to break. To deliver a death blow or a fatal injury. Notice that the promised lamb was not coming to show man how to be more prosperous. Notice that the Promised Lamb was not coming to improve the climate and the environment, not to make man's life easier, nor to improve his social status, no. He was promised to bruise, to break the serpent's head, uh, to have victory over evil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, through his death, he might destroy him, the devil, that had the power of death. He was promised to come to do for men that which they could not ever do for themselves on their own, not even good works. He was to come to save and secure man's salvation from sin. 
Such was the person of the Lamb promised. Secondly, notice now the purpose of the promised Lamb. He was to come as a warrior. The word enmity has the idea of hostility and even hatred. Yep, that's what it means. Satan ever since has an enmity, has an hatred towards the Lord and everything that he is and whatever he represents, Satan hates. It runs so deep that well before the creation of man even, all that the devil ever wanted was to destroy the Lord and all that he is and all that he does. Isaiah 14 tells us that, of course. Ezekiel 28 backs it up. These, beloved, more than Adam and Eve, was the real war that has been raging between God and Satan. The Lamb promised came to this world to be the Savior. And in that, to be a warrior against sin and Satan. He came to win the war against a determined enemy. He came to win the battle that Adam lost at the Garden of Eden. That is why from Genesis 3.15, He shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel when the first promise of the Redeemer uh, was to come and to seek that which was lost all the way to Matthew 28 verses 5 and 6. Ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here for he is risen from the dead. From that moment, this prophetic promise was given. Satan did everything uh, in his futile power to stop the seed of the woman from being born and continue to live through by the wicked Herod in Matthew 2. But even before that, he worked through Cain to kill his brother Abel to destroy the lineage of Christ. Genesis 4. Oh, but God appointed another seed in Seth. For God had appointed another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Chapter 4, verse 25 of Genesis. Satan tried to corrupt and pervert the human line, bloodline through evil marriages in Genesis 6. He tried to eradicate the people of God in, in Egypt uh, in Exodus chapter 1 and 2, and then lead them into idolatry over this split uh, of God's people Israel in the kingdom years. He tried. Satan never relented. Even in the New Testament, Satan through King Herod, like I said, tried to destroy the baby Jesus in Matthew 2. He tempted Jesus into sin in Matthew 4. He had tried to destroy Jesus, yet in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, had him falsely accused, tried, and convicted unfairly, ultimately uh, getting him crucified uh, through the Pharisees and the scribes at the cross of Calvary. He thought he got him where he wanted him, dead. 
Oh, but little did he know. And little did he know that is exactly what the Lord planned and promised all along from Genesis 3.15 for the Lord to die so that men and women, that's you and me, beloved, may live for all eternity. What a mighty warrior is the Lord Jesus. Not only was he a warrior, but a winner of a warrior. A winner of a warrior. Look at it again, beloved. He, the serpent, will bruise his heel. Oh, but the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. Bruising the heel is not fatal. Whereas bruising the head is. There's a world difference there. This was, of course, fulfilled at the cross. But while the Lord Jesus died, beloved, he rose again triumphant. The Bible says that death could not contain him. Uh, Hebrews, oh, Acts uh, 2.24, Acts 2.24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible. Did you get that? It was not possible that he should be beholden of it. Amen, indeed. And Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, on the other hand, tells us that the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I've heard that somebody say that forever in the Bible is not forever. Don't listen to that. That's heresy. When it says forever in the Bible, it means forever. And when a person dies and goes to hell, they don't just stay there for a limited time. They stay there forever. If you hear that said to you, just toss it out. Because it's not Bible. Okay? That's error. Blatant error. And a, a twist of the scripture. My dear ones, if you are a genuine believer in Christ today, you are not just on the winning side. You have already won. For the battle, for the war with the devil has been won for you by the winner of a warrior in Jesus Christ. You're not just on the winning side. You've already won. Isn't that amazing? The person of the promised lamb. The purpose of uh, promised lamb. And thirdly, after this we are done, the portrait of the promised lamb. Back in Genesis 3. This time in verse 21. Genesis chapter 3 uh, here in verse 21. And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. After God pronounced his righteous judgment, okay, and just judgment at, on the disobedient Adam and Eve, notice what God did. He clothed their nakedness due to sin. How did he do it? 
Here we see the portrait of the Lamb promised in the death and the shedding of the blood of an animal. A picture, a type, a portrait of sacrifice. Understand, beloved, that before this day, Adam and Eve have never seen death. Understand that before this day, Adam and Eve have never seen death of any kind. They have never witnessed blood coming out from any of God's creation. There was no need for it. There was no sacrifice for sin that's needed uh, prior to the fall, of course. But now, because of their disobedience and what they have done for the very first time, they have seen blood sacrifice in the death of an animal. First time. Perhaps... What God had said in the day that thou shalt eat of the fruit thereof, thou shalt surely die. Perhaps seeing blood and death for the first time, they understood what death is like and how much it really cost for sin. A life for another life. Perhaps they finally understood the concept of the wages of sin is death. Here, beloved, is a portrait of sacrifice. An innocent animal that most likely Adam himself would have seen and looked after. He would have named this animal he would have known these animals. And now, as innocent as they were, they're dead. Their blood spilled out for them. Isn't this what we see in the Lord Jesus? As Peter wrote, who did no sin, Neither was guile found in his mouth, yet who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye, that's us, ye were healed. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 22 to 25. Beloved, instead of criticizing Christmas, just look with me for a moment. Just imagine with me for a moment. Look to the Lamb promised, the very reason for the season. See him nailed to the cross. Listen to the men and women wag their heads saying, He saved others, himself he cannot save. But before that, 
Watch the Roman soldiers with me as they pluck his beard, slap his face, spit upon him. Spit upon his face. Listen to the profanities as they mocked him. Can you hear them? Can you hear the sound of the flagellum? A short whip for scourging, which when used again and again will tear the skin of the one being scourged. Can you see the lamb promised as he hung on the cruel tree? Nailed to his wrist and feet. Can you see his blood running from his head from the crown of thorns? Dripping down on his face. The Bible says he couldn't be recognized as a man. He was so mad, so disfigured. That you can't see him and recognize him as a man. Can you see the blood from his now torn skin oozing out all the way down to his feet, making a pool of blood at the base of the cross? Can you see it? Understand, beloved. That every stripe on his back, every slap on his face, every spit, every mockery he received, everything he suffered was a portrait of sacrifice for you and for me. Everything. The promised lamb was not only a portrait of sacrifice but also a portrait of sufficiency. You see, after Adam and Eve realized their nakedness, they attempted to cover themselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves of their own effort, covering of their own works, if you like. Understand, beloved, that their own efforts their own good works, their own covering for their sin was not and will never be good enough. It wasn't acceptable to God. An innocent sacrifice for sin was needed. The sinless for the sinner, the just for the unjust. God showed Adam and Eve that their own efforts, their own covering for sin was not acceptable. And I ask you this morning, why? Why would we even think that our own good works will be acceptable to him? Hebrews 9.22 tells us, Without shedding of blood is no remission. No remission of sins. 
My friend, perhaps you think your own righteousness, your own good works will make you acceptable to God. Perhaps you were taught that good works will take you to heaven. Isaiah 64, 6, did you know that we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags in front of a holy, righteous, and just God? You think you're good? You probably are in the eyes of man. You think you're righteous? Maybe you are, and I acknowledge that. But your righteousness, your own good works, in front of a holy, just, and righteous God, Isaiah the prophet says, they are but us filthy rags. My friend, you can live your life in your religion of works, covering and attempting to cover for your own sin, but on the authority of God's word, I'm sorry to tell you, you will die in your own sin, covering, and will be found wanting. But if you come to the Lamb, if you come to the Lamb that was promised way back in Genesis in faith, He will cover your sin in his robe of righteousness and make you acceptable and worthy to stand in the presence of God if you would but come to the Lamb. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9 And be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You can continue living and trying to cover your own sin through your religion, through your good works, through your clean living to please the Lord, but nothing, nothing as much as hard as you try, nothing will ever be sufficient to cover for your sin. What will be sufficient? is the blood of Christ which was shed for you at the cross of Calvary. Only the praise of the glory of his grace will make us accepted in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. And only the sacrifice and the sufficiency of the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the whole world will make us be in the presence of God for all eternity. John chapter 1, verse 29. In closing, have you ever wondered what this world would have been like if Adam and Eve did not sin against God? Have you ever considered that? 
What if they remained faithful? What if Eve did not allow herself to be deceived? What if they just continued to obey what the Lord God has commanded? What would this world be like? But you know, as good a pondering that is, the fact is they did sin. And you and I have inherited a sin problem and were born into sin. And so as we enter this Christmas season, do not waste your time in focusing on the wrong. Spend your time wisely. Spend your energy not in what is wrong, but what is right. Be thankful that there is that first Christmas at Bethlehem where Christ was born in a manger so that he can bring good tidings of great joy into all people. That is to save his people from their sin. He, Jesus, is the Lamb promise and he is the reason why there is Christmas and why we can wish each other a Merry Christmas. He took what was tragic and turned it into something triumphant. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Oh, dear God, thank you that there is that day. Whether it's December 25, we don't want to concern ourselves to that. But we have this time of the year to focus our attention and celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As God's people, say by the blood of the Lamb, that was promised way back into the book of beginnings in Genesis 3, all the way to where we live now, and until we go home in glory, it is the same Christ, the Savior of the world. So, Father, whilst we are busy in preparing, planning, and all the things that we would like to prioritize in this time of the year I ask that we would make all of those preparations secondary to the priority of all time that gift that is unspeakable in the Lord Jesus Christ so Father help us as we transact, as we attend Christmas gatherings and as we meet up with families, as we have occasions uh, to meet up and bump into people with the shopping centers and as we uh, pay on the counters, Father, help us to take this opportunity to be gracious, to be generous, and indeed to be godly. 
as our society would spend billions of dollars in retail. Oh, I pray that we as your God's people would spend moments of time in reflecting who really is the center of this celebration. And that is you, our Savior Christ. Whilst our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around. Perhaps you're here and in this Christmas time, you've always been taught that in order to go to heaven is that you would have good works. That somehow if your good outweighs your bad, that you will come to heaven. I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's word, that's not true. Only the blood of Christ can get you to heaven. If you're here, Pastor Manny, I don't really know. I don't understand how it is to be born again, how it is to be saved, how it is to spend eternity in heaven. Would you pray for me? Would you raise that hand if that's you? Pastor, I don't know whether I'm saved. I don't know where I will spend eternity. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Let me pray for you. Anyone? Okay. You that have professions of faith, you that you call uh, ourselves Christians, perhaps as we enter into this Christmas season, would we pray that our focus will not be on the ham and the turkey and just the gifts and all the trimmings? Would we make it our business, beloved, that we would make the Lord Jesus the center of our celebration? Would we do that? Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for that first Christmas in Bethlehem where the angels announced the coming of the Savior. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I pray, dear God, that as we look to your word all through the rest of the Sundays of this month, that we will indeed behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this privilege and all that we will say and do wherever we would be as we prepare and plan for this Christmas period. May our thoughts and the central of it all will be the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your hymnals, please, to hymn number 92.